first, you guys can grab a seat. He is worthy. I want to say welcome to those of you who are here with us, obviously, in the room this morning, as well as those of you uh, who may be joining us via live stream. Welcome to you. If we haven't had the chance to, to meet yet, I'd love to meet you after the service. My name is Chris, one of the pastors uh, here at New Life. And before we jump into the sermon this morning, just a couple of things I want to keep on your radar. The first is, if you are new or newer to New Life, kind of the first step that we would put in front of you is what we call our Journey 101 Luncheon. That's happening right after this service. Uh, we've got just a few spots still open. So you, if you're new, you haven't been, you want a free lunch, uh, just go upstairs right after this service. Uh, we'll feed you and just kind of share uh, with you a little bit about who we are as a church, where we feel like God is taking us as a body. The second thing I want to say is Easter is right around the corner, y'all. Two weeks, 14 days from today, right? And it's going to be a great time. I'm so excited about that day. Just a couple of things I would ask from you guys if you're a part of our faith family. One, uh, do your best. Please make every effort to be here, preferably uh, in person. I know some of you can't uh, who are uh, live streaming, but if you can, be here in person. I know that's like spring break week. So make every effort to come back from the lake on Saturday night. Be here uh, in God's house for Resurrection Sunday. And then the second thing I would say is uh, be thinking about who you could invite. Again, two times a year, folks that don't come to church are usually willing to come, right? That's Easter and that's Christmas. And so let me just challenge you, issue a personal pastoral challenge. Who is it in your neighborhood, the person that you're working with, your classmates at school that you could invite to come with you to be your guest on Easter Sunday, right? And it's not because we're trying to get some kind of huge crowd and pat ourselves on the back. We want to expose as many people as possible to the best news in the world, right? That there's a God who loves them, who sent Jesus to live, die, and resurrect for them. And so we want to expose as many people as we can to that glorious good news on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, two weeks. So be here for that. Bring somebody with you. The last thing is uh, we are, one of our city partners is Woodfin Elementary School, right? So we've been partnered with them for many, many years. They're just right down the road. Every year, they sponsor the Woodkin, Woodfin 5K. And so that's coming up April 30th, so like a, about a month, just a few weeks from now. They still need uh, volunteers to help run that event, and they're still looking for some runners and walkers. Now, in the past, we've had some, some pretty dominant New Life runners in that race, I'd like to keep that dominant streak in our community up, all right? So if you're, if you're a good runner, I know we got some of our young guys and gals over there who are really good runners, sign up, all right? You can go to woodf woodfin5k.com. Really easy to remember. Apparently, Eden's going to run that race. We're going to hold her to it, all right? Woodfin5k.com, and you can register to volunteer, to run the race if you want, if you're like, man, I'm not a runner, you can walk three miles for a good cause, all right? So, so participate in that uh, if you can. It's going to be a good time. As we start, uh, I, I want you just to kind of think back for a moment to your childhood. All right, now some of you in here are kids, so like think back to yesterday. But if you're a little bit older, uh, jog your memory and think back to when you were a kid. I don't know, five, eight, ten, something like that. I want you to think back. And I wonder, how was, how was love expressed in your family? I just kind of think, for some of you, probably really healthy. For some of you, it's like, man, <laughs> it was non-existent. How, how were hard conversations handled in your family as a, as a kid? How, how was conflict managed with your mom, your dad, your sibling? What, like, what was that environment like? 
All right, you got that, you got that kind of snapshot in your head of your childhood? The, tr- the truth is, regardless of whether you came from like a super uh, healthy family or really like toxic, messed up family, how you experience all those things like love and conflict resolution and hard conversations, man, that, that really leaves an imprint on your life for the rest of your life. Now, for Cheryl and I, that was one of our biggest challenges early on in our marriage is that the families that we grew up in handled conflict in like polar opposite ways. Obviously, the way my family did it was the right way, and she had to really kind of come around to that and see the wisdom. And, and No, we, we, had to, we had to navigate those waters and, and find that place that was healthy for our marriage and for our family. Well, the church family is really no different, right? How we express love how we handle hard conversations, how we resolve conflict in the family of Jesus, like all of that is absolutely key to having a a healthy spiritual family, a church family. And that's precisely what we're gonna see as we continue in our series in 1 Thessalonians 5 this morning. And so if you have a Bible, let me encourage you, go ahead, open it up, turn it on your device. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're home stretch now. We got this week, next week we're going to wrap it up, and then we'll be at Easter. Now, if you haven't been here for the whole series, you may not know this, but the first three chapters of this letter are, are really just Paul encouraging these brand new baby believers, right? So he's just like, he's cheerleading for them. He's like, guys, good job. You're doing great. You're following Jesus. You're, you stumble, and you mess up, but you get up, you dust yourself off, you run hard after Jesus again. You guys are doing a great job. So that's the first three chapters of the book. The last two chapters of the book are really Paul challenging them, right? So we get encouragement and we get challenge. And I love that. I think that's the thing I probably have loved the most about this book is we get both. Paul gives us both encouragement and challenge. And the reality is we need both of those things in order to have a healthy church family, to have healthy relationships in the family of God. And so let's dig into that. We're going to start in verse 12, go through verse uh, 15. But before we dive in, let's pause and just ask God uh, to help us as we dive into his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are grateful that you have given us uh, your word. We don't just have to sort of try to feel our way through life, that you've, you've given us a timeless text to guide our lives. Not only that, you've given us your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to shape us, to convict us. God, we need that. We need you. And so we ask right now that you would just sort of remove any distractions from our minds, any things that are things that may be pressing heavy on our hearts, that you would allow us just to kind of lay those burdens aside to hear from you through your word by the power of your spirit. And I pray that we'd walk out of this room different than we came in uh, for our good, for your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 12, this is Apostle Paul again writing to these uh, new Christians in the city of Thessalonica almost 2,000 years ago. This is what he writes to them. We ask you, brothers, and that's a g- kind of general term, so brothers, sisters, kind of like all, all y'all, to use Rodney's translation from a few weeks ago, we ask all y'all to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And so Paul begins the conversation about healthy relationships in the church family by addressing the relationship between the leaders of the church and the family of the church. Now, now Paul seems to have in mind here uh, the shepherds of the church. So think like pastors, elders, but I think this probably could be broadly applied as well to like community group leaders 
Bible study teachers in the church, basically anybody that's got some, some leadership role in the body. And Paul gives us three ways that church leaders ought to be leading and serving in the body of Christ, and then a couple of ways that the church family should respond to that type of leadership. Now, one just kind of quick caveat before we really dig in. Whenever I uh, come to passages and I have to preach passages like this, it, it's, I'm just being, uh, it's, it's a little weird for me because it could kind of seem self-serving, right? Like, like I'm getting up here like, hey, you guys love me, respect me, follow me, like fan me, feed me grapes, you know, like, just know that, like, that, that's not the heart behind, behind this message, right? Uh, this, is just, this happens to be in the Bible. It's part of this book. Part of my job as a pastor is to preach the stuff that I really enjoy preaching and, and to preach the stuff that makes me kind of squirmy as well. This is one of those that kind of makes me uncomfortable. Uh, but I just want to remind you, uh, I'm not the chef. I'm just the server, all right? And so if the Lord tells you to fan me and feed me grapes, who am I to uh, refute the word of the Lord? All right, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, so uh, three commands, three commands for leaders in the church family. So we'll talk about that first, our responsibility as shepherds, and then we'll talk about your responsibility to the shepherds um, second. So let's look at verse 12 again on the screens for you. We ask you, brothers and sisters, all y'all, to respect those who, here we go, three things, who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. So those are the kind of three responsibilities Paul says you, you should expect from your shepherds. We'll go through one at a time. The first one is you should expect your shepherds, your leaders in the church, to be hard workers. Shepherds ought to be hard workers. This word is, is actually labor in the Greek. It's this idea of toiling to exhaustion. The thing that came to my mind is I worked in construction one summer in college, and I just remember, man, we're out there before the crack of dawn and moving bags of cement and hauling lumber 12 hours later. I came home, I was just exhausted, man, just crashed on the couch, did not have an ounce of energy left. This is kind of the picture that Paul is presenting. Like your shepherds, your leaders, this is how they ought to work. They labor, they toil. This is exhausting work. Now listen, guys, there are, to be sure, lazy pastors, Right? I think we can all probably conjure up a picture in our minds of some like dorky TV evangelist that just begs for money so he can fly from one beach house to the next beach house. Just kind of lazy, worthless, good-for-nothing leaders. They exist even in the church, unfortunately. In fact, I'm tempted to name a few on the stage this morning, but I'm giving up being a jerk for Lent, and so I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul is saying church leaders ought not be that way. They ought not to be lazy. They ought to be faithful in their labor. They ought to be hard workers. They should labor and toil in the kingdom because they love the sheep. They should be hard workers. You should expect that from your leaders. You should demand that of your leaders. Now, I, I certainly uh, can't speak for all churches. I, I can't speak for our church. And I can say unequivocally, our, our ministry team here works really hard. Now, I want you to know, they, they love you guys. They desire to see you thrive in your walk with Jesus, man. We, every single Monday, we open our staff meeting with prayer. Every single elders meeting, we spend the first half hour of our meeting praying primarily for you guys, for things that you have going on in your life, for struggles, for those who are struggling with health issues. They love you guys. They toil. They, they labor, which means oftentimes, man, we're dealing with emails and text messages and phone calls at night, on the weekends, when we're with our families. The reality is shepherding a flock doesn't fit nicely into a nine to five, clock in, clock out, sort of 40-hour work week. 
And so we, we labor, we toil here. There are times when I literally have to tell some of our staff, bro, sis, take a day off. Like I come in here every weekend and you're here working again. Like t- 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 go home. I don't want to see you on Monday. I don't want to see you. T- go hiking. Go do something else. And so there, there are times where, where we really have to, have to force that issue. Now, the, the flip side of that is we have to sometimes set healthy boundaries so that our marriages and our families uh, don't suffer or we can't neglect our ministry at home either. But Paul is saying you should expect your shepherds, your church leaders to, to labor with you to toil, to, to be hard workers, not to be lazy people. We labor and we toil. You should expect that from your leaders. The second command for leaders, what you should expect from us, is that we would, number two, lead well. Now, this is the, the, the terminology Paul uses here is that they are over you. They're over you. This is the idea of, of leading, giving guidance, right? This is the idea of a, a protector or a guardian. So picture, like not, not like a dictator-type leader, so not like a military general or maybe like a, a stuffy Fortune 500 CEO. That's not the picture here. The picture I want you to see here is like the picture of a loving parent, right? A, a good parent. Because a good parent is constantly thinking about what's best for their kids, right? Good parents teach their kids things and then model those things for their, their children. Like, hey, son, this is how you love your wife. Watch how I love your mother. Not perfectly, and when I mess up, watch how I apologize and bring her flowers and smooth things out and fix things after I sleep on the couch for a couple of days. This is, this is how it works, right? We, we teach them and then we model for them, right? This is how you serve God, daughter. This, this is how I serve in the church. This is how I serve in our, with our community partners. Watch how I do it. Not perfectly, not flawlessly, but this is how you serve the Lord. Use your spiritual gifts. Hey, son, I, I love you, but don't, man, stop sticking your finger in the socket, man. <laughs> hey, daughters, you're, you're awesome. Stop arguing with your brother all the time. Leaders in the church should lead well. You should expect that from your leaders. We should be hard workers. We should lead well like a loving parent, which rolls right into the third responsibility of leaders that Paul gives us. He says, uh, those who admonish you, and the way I phrased it is just those who correct wrong in the body. Those who correct wrong, we are expected by the Lord to correct wrong in the church body. Now, this is the one that nobody likes. Can I just say that? I don't like this. Our pastors don't like this. Our elders don't enjoy this. And you don't like it either, which is why most churches never do this and why most churches are unhealthy and sickly because of it. It is never fun to correct And yet, according to the Apostle Paul here, he's saying this is one of the primary callings of a leader in the church family is to correct faulty doctrine, to challenge bad attitudes, to root out division in the body. Like, this is literally part of our calling as shepherds in the body. All, by the way, super not fun to do. Like, I've never enjoyed any of this. I lose sleep over these conversations. Our leaders lose sleep over these conversations. But again, going back to the kind of the parent analogy, I've got three kids at home. I, got, I have two daughters and I have a son. And it's like half the time I'm encouraging them and the very next breath I'm correcting them. Like, hey, son, I, I love you. Stop hitting your sister. Hey, daughter, I, you're awesome, you're beautiful, I love you, you're talented, you're creative. No, you can't slap your brother when he offends you. Hey, let's go get ice cream. Don't you ever disrespect your mother like that. Look, look me in the eye. 
Don't you ever disrespect your mother like that again, right? It's this rhythm of love and serving and protecting and, yes, correcting at times. That's good leadership. You should expect that in the body of Christ. And let me just say, man, if you can go and plant your life and be a part of a church family and you can cause all kinds of chaos in the church family and you can live like an open sin, open rebellion against God and others and never have a leader challenge you, you are in an unhealthy, toxic church. And you probably should look for a more healthy church because a healthy church will have leaders who work hard, lead well, and yes, correct the wrong. That's, that's the way that we're called to lead. That's how we should lead in the family of Jesus. Well, how should, how should the church family respond to their leaders as they lead in this way? Let's look back at verse 12 again. It says, we ask you, brothers, we ask all y'all to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, this is not a call to blindly follow a person who is abusing their authority in the church for selfish gain. So that means what Paul is not saying is if I get up here next week and say, hey, guys, listen, uh, I wanna, we're all going to sell our houses. I've located a deserted island. We're going to sell our houses. We're going to move out to the deserted island. I may need you to drink some Kool-Aid because I'm getting these direct visions from God, and I need you to give me all your money. Paul is not saying you should follow me in that college. Like, this is not a blind following of, like, cultic, ungodly personality types. This is simply Paul saying, hey, listen, as you see your church leaders laboring and loving and serving and correcting in a loving way, show them honor and respect. As they love you, you love them back. There should be this relationship of love that flows both ways. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is what I think Paul is after. There ought to be this kind of beautiful, loving, symbiotic relationship between church leaders and the church body. Well, they're loving each other. They're serving each other. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a measure of respect and honor there, right? As they love you, you love them back. And so here's point number one that I think Paul would give us. Number one, love your leaders. As they love you, love your leaders. Respect them, honor them. This is what Paul says is, is important to a healthy church family. Now Paul is gonna begin to shift in the text from the relationship between church leaders and the church body to relationships between uh, church family members, right? So more of a vertical, now we're switching to more horizontal. And here's point number two, love each other. So love your leaders, love each other. That's, that's the whole point of the whole text. If you get nothing else but those two points, you got the whole message. Paul's saying love your leaders and love one another. Now, what does that look like? I think a lot of us hear things like that, and it's kind of this ethereal idea of loving one another. Well, what does that look like? Does that mean when you walk in the door on Sunday morning, I should get this warm, fuzzy feeling, oh, man, I love him so much? Or What does it mean? Well, Paul is not going to leave that for us to just figure out. He's going to give us practical ways that we ought to be loving one another, that we can be healthy church family members. Watch at the end of verse 13. These will all be on the screen for you. He says, I want you to be at peace among yourselves. I want you to be at peace. So we're just gonna kind of title this list, How to Be a Healthy Church Family Member, right? If you wanna know how to be a church family member, according to the Apostle Paul, he's gonna give us five or six ways that you can, you can do that. We can do that. Number one, he says is, you gotta pursue peace. Within the body of Christ, you gotta pursue peace. That, some of your translations literally say, get along. <laughs> I love that. It's like, just get along. Be a peacemaker. Be friends with one another. 
Live life together. Go have lunch. Go have coffee. Assume the best of one another. Don't take offense where none was meant. Now, this, of course, is easier said than done because our natural tendency, at least for most of us, is to find faults in others, not to assume the best. The truth of the matter is, most of us are really good at overlooking our own faults and really bad about pointing out every fault in every other person. And Paul is saying, not in the family of Jesus, brother or sister. It ought not be that way in the family of Jesus. Like, get out of here with that kind of self-righteousness, with that sanctimonious foolishness, right, where you expect others to give you grace, but you do nothing to pursue peace when others don't meet your standard of perfection? That's crazy. Now, this is one reason why I and the other pastors here are constantly inviting you to be in community outside of this one-hour worship service every week, right? So this is why we're constantly saying, hey, go check out a Bible study, go check out, go check out a community group, go get involved in body life outside of this worship service. Listen, not because it's always easy or pleasant, but precisely because it's not always easy or pleasant. Right, living life with other people is where the rubber really meets the road in the Christian life. Because the truth of the matter is, it's really easy to come in here, and we walk in here, and we smile, and we wave at each other, and we say, hey, brother, hey, sister, how you doing? Oh, God's good, all this kind of stuff, all this really superficial stuff, and it's really easy to do that when you don't know how irritating the other person really is in real life. Really easy for them to do that when they don't know how annoying you really are in real life. You start doing life with people and you realize how loud they crunch their chips at the dinner table. You're like, good God, drink some water. What are you doing, right? Or she, the same lady comes in there and she's depressed every single week. Oh, you're depressed again. Oh, well, let's pray for you again. It's real easy to kind of have this really superficial life if we're not really going deeper in any kind of way. But you start living life with people and man, all of a sudden you get the opportunity to show grace and to forgive each other and to pursue peace when all you wanna do is strangle them at the dinner table, right? And so this is what Paul is saying. You gotta be in community and when you're in community with each other, you gotta love each other well and that looks like pursuing peace. Assuming the best, not the worst of one another. He continues on in verse 14, he says, and we urge you, brothers, and he uses a really interesting term here, he says, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. The way I've kind of framed that is correct the idol. That's the second way that we become healthy family members within the body of Jesus. Now that word idol is not a word that we use a lot nowadays, but it's the idea of someone who is lazy in the church body. Someone who is undisciplined, disorderly. And Paul says, you need to admonish these people in the church body. You need to to warn them, to, to correct them, out of, out of love always, but you need to correct them. Well, this is, by the way, the same word that Paul used when he said that church leaders ought to correct the flock. Meaning that the job of correcting in the church family doesn't just fall on the lap of the church leaders, it is the job of every family member in the church. That means, brother, sister, sitting in this room, watching online, it is also your job. Are you uncomfortable yet? Now, let me say this, this is, this is not Paul giving us a license to be jerks, right? This is not a license to get our little notepads out and just kind of walk around the church and be like, hey man, you've been here for like five years. I've never seen you serving, lazy bones. You should get off your duff and do something in the kingdom, right? This is not a license to be a jerk in the church body. But what Paul is saying is this is really, really important. And in my experience, especially as American Christians, we are really, really bad at this. 
You want to know why? Because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Right? We're so concerned with hurting people's feelings that we don't do what we're called to do. And why? This is not fun. And yet Paul is saying, correcting, again, always in love, those who are idle, those who are lazy in the church family, is not just my role or the role of the elders or the pastors here. It's our role collectively as a family of Christ, meaning that when that person that you know that usually sits beside you in Sunday worship hasn't been here in two months, you don't get to just be like, well, stinks for them. They're probably going to hell anyway. Huh? You know, let, me, let me write Chris an email so he can light a fire under their tail. No, that, that means you probably ought to reach out. You probably ought to give them a phone call and check in and say, brother, sister, I've been missing you. I've been missing you. Where you been? What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? When that family just kind of ghosts your community group, they just kind of disappear, that means you should probably text them and say, hey, brother or sister, let's go to coffee. Tell me what's going on in your life. When that person in your group or in your Bible study is constantly just kind of short with their kids, kind of rude in their words to their wife or their husband, that, that means that you pull them aside in love. Say, bro, sis, I, I love you. I sense that there's something going on in your heart here. I don't think it's healthy for your family. How can I walk with you through this? Right? These things are not okay. This is what Paul's calling spiritual idleness, and it should be corrected in the church family, right? We don't run from the hard conversations that none of us want to have as believers. Again, always from a place of love, always from a place of love. Now, next, the next thing that we do as a church family to stay healthy, look at verse 14, he continues. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Now, this, th guys, this one is huge. This one is huge. Now, let, let me just say, if you're here, if you're watching online, and you're just in a very healthy place in your life right now, things are great at home. You're feeling good about life. Man, you're healthy. Your bank account's looking pretty good. All the relationships in your life are thriving. Let me just say, praise God for that. That's awesome. I'm glad that you're in the season, but you need to know if that's where you are, there are people all around you who are sitting beside you, who are sitting behind you, that are all around you, that are deeply discouraged right now in this very moment. Some of them are dealing with depression. Some of them are dealing with crippling anxiety. Maybe there's a couple sitting close to you that just had another miscarriage. Maybe there's a high schooler who just went through a really painful breakup and it feels like their world is crashing in on them. Maybe there's an elderly person that just buried their spouse of 50 plus years. Uh, maybe a person that's got chronic illness and is just in pain all the time. Church family, I want you to know that the faint-hearted are all around you. And here's the thing, most of the time, you would never even know about it because we are really good at hiding our pain. So let me just say, man, if you, if you feel a prompting from the Holy Spirit, you just feel this thing like, man, I, I should go encourage that brother, encourage that sister. Man, don't, don't just like discard that. Like, ah, oh, man, I don't even know them that well. Or are they gonna think it's weird if I come up to them and encourage them? Man, take that as a sign from the Holy Spirit and go encourage that brother, encourage that sister. I cannot tell you how many times in my own life where I've had a rough day, a rough week, a rough month, whatever it is, just kind of feeling discouraged. And man, one of you guys, I just get an email I'll get a little note in the mail, just kind of enlivens my heart. Man, just what I needed. I remember just a few months ago, um, I mentioned just briefly in the message that I, I like to eat steak. And so I had the sweet lady come up and she put some cash in my hand. She said, hey, I want you to go buy some steak for your family, have a steak dinner. And we did, we had a steak dinner and it was glorious and my heart was happy and I was encouraged, right? And it was great, right? 
I just want to say, friend, look, look for the faint-hearted. Look for those ways that we can, we can encourage each other. Ask Holy Spirit to put people in your mind or on your heart that need to be encouraged. And then when you get that prompting, don't ignore it. Go and talk to them, encourage them. Part of our calling as a church family is to cheer each other up. He continues on in verse 14. He adds another to the list of how we are to be healthy church family members. He says, help the weak. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. That's the next way. We can be healthy church family members. Now, that, this, this word weak, it could be like uh, spiritual weakness. So like think new believers, new followers of Jesus. And by, by the way, just side note, I mean, I'm so thankful that we are in a church family where we have people from every place on the spiritual spectrum. Now, we got, we got baby Christians, new Christians in here, some people that are on the fence, they don't even know what they believe. We got people that have been walking with Jesus for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. I'm so grateful we don't have a church of like salty old Christians. Everybody's been following Jesus for 50 years. Everybody's theologically kind of puffed up and arrogant. Man, I'm so glad we've got that variety and mix. And Paul is saying, help them. Be, be patient with them. Like, yes, they're going to stumble and fall, and they're going to make really dumb mistakes, and they're going to say really dumb stuff in community group, in Bible study. Help them. Be patient with them. Walk with them. Now, this, I think, could also apply to kind of a physical or emotional weakness. So think homeless person, refugee in your city, widow, orphan, the disabled. Like, find those people and walk with them patiently, which, by the way, is the opposite of the dominant cultural view in our world today, right, which is secular humanism. This idea that we're all, we're all just kind of here as a cosmic accident, right? There's no real purpose. There's nothing beyond the physical world. When we die, that's the end of it. Kind of this idea of only the strong survive, the survival of the fittest. And the Christian worldview runs counterculture to that and says, no, 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 no. Listen, we value the weak here. We value the weary. We value the forgotten. We value those people as incredibly valuable in the kingdom of Jesus because they are image bearers of God himself. I came across this quote. I thought it was beautiful. We don't even know who the author was. We just know the recipient of this letter was written probably around 130 um, uh, uh, AD. And um, it's just incredible describing how the early church functioned. I thought, man, what, what a beautiful example for us. So this will be on the screens for you, and uh, you just read along with me. This is describing the early church, the early family of Jesus. It says this, they dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with others, yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry, as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. You gotta know, like back in the Greco-Roman uh, culture, worldview, if, if the, a baby was born that had deformities, they would, they would basically leave that baby to die. They just kind of throw them out in the woods, they let them die. And this guy's saying, man, the Christians are not like that. They don't discard their offspring. There's this really important value that surrounds human life. They have a common table, but not a common bed. I love that. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They practice hospitality, but they have a different sexual ethic than the rest of the world. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws with their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. 
They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of, and yet are justified. They are reviled, and they bless. They are insulted, and they repay that insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. To sum it all up in one word, listen to this, I love this. What the soul is to the body, that are the Christians to the world. What the soul is to the body, that is what Christians are to the world. We're called to walk with the weak, to value those that the world doesn't value. And I want you to know, man, there are people all around us, all around you, even in this room today, that are not okay. They're weak. They're struggling with idleness, maybe because of immaturity. They're discouraged. Maybe they're anxious. Maybe they're depressed. And I want you to know that living this kind of revolutionary, countercultural lifestyle that the Apostle Paul is describing for us, it, it starts in here. With us as the family of Jesus, it starts here. And Paul's gonna wrap it up in verse 15. Look at, the, look at this. He says, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So two things to close here. Two more ways how to be a healthy church family member. He's, number one, he says, refuse retaliation. Refuse retaliation. And I just wanna say, church, family, revenge does not belong to us. If you really believe what the word says, that God is the God of justice, I want you to know he will handle justice far better than you ever could. So you can leave that to him. That's a burden that you ought not be carrying. Put that in his hands. But the reality is, this is hard for us. Because what's, what's our natural instinct when someone wounds us? When someone makes a snide remark to us? What's your natural instinct when that happens, brother or sister? Hey, come here, let me give you a hug, baby. Is that your natural instinct? No, it's to retaliate, isn't it? You cut me, bro, I'm gonna cut you. You made me bleed, I'm gonna make you bleed more. I mean, honestly, how many of you have ever had someone say something that was really mean to you, that really cut you in a deep way, that offended you, that wounded you, and like three weeks later, you're like driving somewhere, you're taking a shower, and you think of the perfect thing that you should have said in the moment. All right, you're like, dang it. I can't believe that I didn't think of that in the moment, man. I could have ripped their soul out, could have put them in therapy for years. I can't believe I didn't say that, right? And Paul's saying, listen, guys, brothers, sisters, that is the way of the world. That is not the way of Jesus. Especially in the church, family, we must not return evil for evil, wound for wound. Instead, we come to one another. Graciousness and love. Say, brother, sister, you maybe, maybe you didn't mean it this way, but man, what you said the other day in small group or what you said to me in front of those other people, that really hurt. And in my experience, most often the response when we approach situations like that is, oh my gosh, man, I'm so sorry. I was having a rough day. Like my mom's in the hospital. I'm afraid I'm gonna lose my job. I just wasn't even thinking about it. Like I didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. It's a beautiful picture of relational restoration and the family of Jesus is made healthy and whole again. But listen, if you had just retaliated like you wanted to, you would have circumvented that whole beautiful outcome and process. 
People would have been wounded. People would have been mad. Maybe they would have been gossiping about you. Now you got factions in the church. You got folks leaving who are mad because this person said this or this person said Listen, brothers, sisters, refuse retaliation in the family of Jesus. Refuse retaliation. Choose reconciliation. This is the way of Jesus. And then Paul closes this section by saying, listen, don't just refuse to retaliate. Go to the next level. Do good to each other. That's the last one. Find ways to do good to one another, meaning constantly be on the lookout to do good. So a guy breaks his leg in your community group, don't, listen, don't wait for him to reach out to you. Reach out to him and say, hey, bro, I'm coming, I'm coming on Saturday to mow your grass. A lady has a, a, a baby in your community group. Don't say, hey, text me if you need something. She's not gonna text. Say, I'm bringing you dinner next Tuesday night. No, no, I don't wanna put you out. Shut up, I'm bringing you dinner on Tuesday night. Just be quiet, I'm, bring, I'm bringing it. Right? You notice a poor college kid out there driving a busted up Corolla, dripping oil all over the place, got bald tires. You're a successful businessman. Buy him new tires. Just, hey, kid, I'm going to meet you for coffee, Starbucks, Monday morning, by the tire shop. Oh, no, I could never. Shut up. Meet me at the coffee shop. We're getting you new, t- new tires. Love each other. Do good to one another. I just think, man, what, what if we all just kind of started stalking around here with like evil grins on our face, like trying to find like, how can we do good to one another? Like, man, I'm about to, I'm about to one-up you. I appreciate, what you, I appreciate dinner, but I'm about to do something real good for you. What if we just begin to look at each other like that and try to find ways to love each other? What would that be like? Would it be cool to be a, far, a part of a faith family like that? That would be pretty awesome. Do you think the world around us would notice? Like, man, how are these people loving each other this way? Why are they so self-sacrificial? It would be beautiful. Now, listen, church family, this is not easy. This is, this is the way of the kingdom of Jesus. It's all about self-sacrifice. It's not easy, and I want you to understand this. It's gonna be messy, and we're gonna be clumsy at it, including your leaders, maybe especially your leaders. This is why Paul says, has patience with each other, forgive each other, give each other grace as we learn to be the family of Jesus the way that he's designed for us to be for our good and for our glory. Church, let's pray, and then we're gonna sing as the band comes. Heavenly Father, we we come to you and we are grateful for the fact that you did not leave us as orphans, but that when we give our lives to you, we're indwelled by the Spirit of God, that we get this whole awesome family, that we're not, we're not, we're not like family, we we're, we're literally are, in your eyes, family. And so God, would you help us to begin to see each other that way, to look around and be like, man, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my spiritual fathers and mothers and kids. And these are like, these are my people. Would you help us begin to love each other, not just in word, but in deed, to really give each other grace, to give each other patience and space to grow and stumble and mess up and step on our toes and wound us and offend us and still stay in the fight. To not run away, but to embrace those challenges and the conflict, Lord, so that we can see healthy resolution and healthy families in your kingdom, God. Would you help us to do that increasingly more and more in the days ahead? We ask it all in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship.